I'm glad y'all are here this morning. Y'all glad you're here? Because, amen. What a, yeah, what a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that for the Lord. Clap for church. Praise God, man. Uh, I am so happy. We're in Ephesians 4, by the way. I, I, I usually always open with that. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 is what we're going to look at today. And uh, today I'm going to be talking about remade to thrive. Not made to thrive. Uh, people say that. In fact, that's out in, the, in, in, in our secular society. Um, uh, there, there is a truth to imagining and understanding and working through things in your mind. It does aid your performance. In other words, uh, many times a professional athlete, for instance, I'll just pick a receiver in the NFL. He can see the route he's going to run. He can see the ball coming. He goes through that in his mind before the play begins, and it helps him. I know that many times a surgeon will, will think through that operation. A musician will play a piece in their mind. And, and there's a reality to, to some of that, uh, uh, to all of that, actually. Um, and if you don't know Christ, you begin to think that somehow you can create things in your mind. But God just made us so that our thinker helps us in our doer, okay? Uh, the way you think. And so the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I want you to see that the Bible doesn't deny that or, or say that's wrong. But the thing is, you've got to have that baptized. And if you don't know Christ, if you're without Christ, in our way we say it, if you are lost, meaning you are not in Christ, you've not been found in him, then, then your thinker is messed up because Adam sinned and that sin was passed on and we're sinners. So Ephesians laid down a groundwork for us to believe. By the way, I so appreciate, I wanted to say that, I knew it was something I was thinking about. We're, we're adding speakers, man. I got three now. We used to have one, but they're getting better is what it is. But uh, anyway, ADD moment. Um, uh, I appreciated Justin's testimony. Did you? Well, that was weak. I appreciated Justin's testimony, didn't you? Amen. Man, that is awesome. Did you? But how many of you were here last week when I preached for like an hour and a half? Okay, great. I don't know if you remember anything from that, because when you say a lot, sometimes you remember less. But there was one thing I put up on the, I always say on the board, but on the wall, and it was four words. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember the four words? Somebody say one of them. Evangelism, what was the other word? Edification, what was the other word? Individually, what was the other word? Corporately. Did you hear what Justin said? If they meet somebody who doesn't know Christ, they witness to them. If they meet someone who does know Christ, they teach them. I thought the church was different in Africa. No, it's different here. We're the ones that messed it up. It's that simple. That is what we do. That is what we're about. That is the church, okay? It was just a great testimony. You weren't even here last week, man. They couldn't even fit it on one CD, but try to, try to listen if you get a chance. Uh, uh, it, it was really long, trust me. Um, I got stuck on the call of God. I was so excited about that. I looked up and I'd gone so long on that. But anyhow, uh, and, and so we were made, God made us in a certain way, but that way was marred by sin, and so God had to remake us right and we were remade to thrive it's not good to say we were made to thrive because the way we were made is corrupt and we'll see that in this passage but God remade us so that we could thrive in him so that we could have life have it abundantly so we could know him we would have the power to know God we would have the freedom to exercise righteousness on earth and God did that for us and so in in Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning in 17 just continuing along where we've been do you mind just standing up 
Um, we're going to go through verse 24. It's, not, it's only seven verses, not that long. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, due to the hardness of, their heart, of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to a sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Let me just pause on verse 21. Did you catch that? As you, in verse 21, you heard about him, evangelism, and were taught in him, edification and discipleship. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which which belongs to your former, notice the word former, manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your awesome word. Lord, we thank you that this written word testifies of the living word. We thank you that every word of God is inspired and is profitable for for correction and, and for discipline, for training, for teaching. Lord, there's no wasted breath in your word. And Lord, thank you for giving us the breath of God, the breath of life. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that 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 title reminds us of air and of wind, that you blow wherever you wish. And we can see the effect, but we, we cannot see you. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would pour the Holy Spirit out on us in a fresh and a new way. Lord, we know that Pentecost was enough, that the Holy Spirit is with us. But Lord, we pray that we would be emptied of sin, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. So convict us, Holy Spirit, please, of, of sin and, and of, of uh, selfishness and of greediness. And Lord, may we confess and forsake and empty ourselves of ourselves that we might be filled with the power of God with you. And that we would testify of Jesus, that we would tell of him, Lord, everywhere we go. That we would speak of you and make you famous in all the earth. Lord, we thank you as we've been reminded today of our brothers and sisters in in dark lands and and faraway places from us. That, Lord, your church is going on in in many, many areas. And, Lord, most of them don't have the freedom and the brightness that we have. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not be selfish, but that we would give away this light. That we would take advantage of this opportunity to preach the word and and to share. God, help us today in this place. Lord, um, we're sort of like the church in, in Revelation that uh, thought they could see but were blind, thought they were wealthy but they were bankrupt, thought they were well but they were sick, thought they were clothed but they were naked. And you said to come to you that you could supply the things that would make us see, the clothes of righteousness that we need, that you would be our supply and, and all that we needed. And so, Lord, we pray that today. We bind our enemy. He seeks to destroy us, to kill us, to steal from us. And so, Lord, we are not powerful to stop him but lord you are powerful and we ask you to rebuke him but you make us powerful in the spirit and so lord may we be weak and may we trust in the power of god that resides in us and lord today may you have your will and way we pray that many people be saved today lord we we put a number on it just to pray for 10 lord we pray it'd be 50 or 100 lord i pray if anyone's here has been going to church all their life is that are lost and don't even realize the day you would convict them not not me. I pray for those that may have never been in church, that may be here today, God. I pray that 
that what we say makes sense and it would be understandable that your Holy Spirit would make it understandable to them. And Lord, for those of us who do know you and know we're saved, Lord, I, I pray that we might hear your voice in a fresh and new way. Lord, we love you. We thank you. You are an awesome God. And we give you all the glory for anything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said he'd rather give up the sermon than the morning prayer. Because God is the only one that has power to do anything for us. Amen. We were talking about that in Sunday school. And you know, God is bigger, smarter, stronger, and more able uh, and better at everything he does. So why do we keep trying to do it ourselves? Why don't we ask him to do it because he can do it better. Well, here's what I want you to see today as I've talked about this a little bit already. Here's a phrase I, I want you to think about this week as you go. Click. There it is. We are not better. We are new. We, God didn't die to make us better. He died to make us brand new. There, there are a lot of things that are designed to... We, we want to make people better. Oh, I want to be better. Every year at, at, at New Year's, we make New Year's resolutions. I, I like to go to a gym. I, I, I don't, I'm not very regular like I ought to be. I, I try to do something every day. But, but I like to go to a gym, but I don't like to go the first couple of weeks in January. Because it's crowded. But by February, most of them gave up, all right? And, and, it, and it's all of a sudden, it's open and free again. I know, that, I know that struggle where you commit to something and then you don't quite make it. Well, God's not in a self-improvement program with us. He's in the I'm going to kill you program with us. He kills what we were in Adam and he raises us up to walk in a new life in Christ. If you think that's dramatic, go home and read Romans 6. Well, actually, we'll get to it in a little bit. All right, so, so God didn't, didn't come to make us better. He came to make us brand new. And the Bible says his mercies are new every morning, right? Great hymn about that as well. So I, I'm going to take this text today, and I'm going to start at the end and then go back to the beginning and then get back to the end, okay? So I'm going to use the end as the, as the bread and sandwich it. I'm going to take and, uh, and stack it up. Because I want you to see the new creation in verses 22 to 24. Before I talk to you about the old creation. Because it's kind of negative. Not kind of. It is negative. And then, and then I want to give you a little encouragement before we get to that part. Uh, God thought it was good just to tell us the bad and then the good. So I'm not saying I'm smarter than God. But that's just how I want to do it. Look, look with me starting in verse 22. When I come back I'm going to start in verse 20. But look at in verse 22 where it says this. That... To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. Do you understand that salvation is the most radical change ever? I know that, that well, a, few, a year or two ago, the young people used to say, like, that's the best sandwich ever. It was a way of saying it was the best they'd ever had. And so I don't know if that's now passe, but y'all are old, so it's still new to you. Um, <laughs> Salvation is the most radical change ever, including death. This is more radical than when my body ceases to function. That's what death is. Everybody dies of CTB, in case you don't know that. Cease to breathe, okay? When you quit breathing, your heart stops, you die, right, physically? Salvation is more radical of a change than that. Because at salvation, I do die. 
It is a salvation that God puts to death what I am in Adam. In other words, I inherited from Randolph Melrose, my dad, a corrupt nature, a corrupt man that we call the old man or the old self. And we, we see that a lot. And so the most radical change that ever will happen to me is at salvation. It is when my life is altered and made fit for heaven. See, I am no longer, the Bible says in Peter, I'm no longer a citizen of this world. I need some amens. I make sure you're with me. Peter says we are aliens and strangers. We are, we are aliens in this land. We are di- this is not our home. This is not where we live. This is why we have this longing. And, and, and Ecclesiastes, I believe, that the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. So that man knows there's something beyond and he longs for it. He wants it. Why do you think people that don't know Christ are out hunting ghosts? They're trying to figure out, is there life after death? Oh, yes, there's go- Let me just help you all with that. A ghost is a demon impersonating a person. Just in case you get to see one, know that so you can rebuke it in the name of Jesus and take authority over that and cast it out because that's all it is. See me after for stories about that. But, but that's all a demon is. And, but people are seeking. They go to fortune tellers. Every time I pass one of those... For- By the way, my son-in-law has a theory about that. He said, I've never seen a car there like a customer. He said, I think they're fronts for drug running. <laughs> John, you can tell me later if that's true or not. But anyway, and police guy, never mind. Um, every time I pass one, I go, I rebuke you in Jesus now. I just point at him and do that. I told that in another church. And, and so this lady took me up on it and she did it. And that night it burnt down. I'm not kidding. It really happened. She went, Pastor. I was like, hey, I didn't do that. You, you know, I don't know what happened there. But I always imagine they're in there and the demon inside that fortune teller goes, what was that? <laughs> you know, I don't know. But anyhow, that's what I like to think. The most radical change is you become fit for him. We don't belong here. There is life after death because the Bible promised that. I don't need somebody who died and came back to tell me that. Jesus died and came back and told me that. That was good enough. I don't need anybody else tell me anymore. So many times we want, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but, but, but. There is no but after that. You know, back in the 70s, I had a saying, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Somebody said, doesn't matter if you believe it or not. When God said it, that settled it. Right? And so I believe it, but... That only helps me. That don't help God or the truth. The truth is the truth. It doesn't care about how I feel about it. It doesn't care what I think about it. The truth is the truth. And the truth is God made us for eternity. And you will spend either eternity in heaven or hell. And if you are eternally dead, eternally lost, you will spend eternity in hell, never ceasing consciousness, never ceasing to exist, being tormented forever in a place called hell, which has fire, and eventually rejudged and put into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels at that point. Right now, Satan, listen, God owns hell and hell don't rent. Satan is not running hell. Satan's going to hell. That's where he's going to wind up. He's roaming to and fro and all the earth seeking someone he can devour and make sure you don't go to heaven where he's not going to be able to go at that point. He can go there now. The book of Job tells us. He appears before God. Gives an account what he's doing. Oh where have you been? He's, oh I've been going all around the earth. Looking for somebody to devour. Remember? Consider, consider your servant. God said have you ever looked at Job? I mean thanks God. You know. <laughs> I can see Job once he realized. I, went, I thought we were friends. What's that all about? Oh I, 
I'm sorry, you've been listening to those preachers who said you're not supposed to suffer. Obviously, they took Job out of their Bible. See, our suffering leads us to Christ, leads us to Christ's likeness, and leads us to an opportunity to glorify God, right? We've got to start looking at this stuff biblically and not the way I feel about it. Because it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It matters what is true. And here, the Bible is telling us that we have this radical change. We have already experienced the divine nature. It is that once I die physically, I, I don't go through a radical change. I just change addresses. I am living in this body right now. My, we're doing a DNA thing. My wife's already done hers, and I've been procrastinating. I'm going to send mine off soon. But I, it's pretty obvious, I think, where I come from. I may be surprised, but I doubt it. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking to do that. But when you look at me, you go, well, we know you're, you're a white guy. You don't know that. You've never seen me. You've seen the house I live in. That'd be, be, be my, like me going by where you live and going, oh, you're a brick man. You're a vinyl siding man. You don't know what I am. Wouldn't it be funny if we looked like what we hated when we got there? Say, <laughs> so I don't hate anyone, liar. <laughs> yeah, you do. You need to repent of that, by the way. But that's part of the old self we got to put off, right? That we're going to come to. Our prejudices, our hatreds. Listen, you don't know what I look like. That's why we are all brothers and sisters. And what I was, I don't look like what I was. I now am supposed to look like Jesus. That's the point he's going to make in this passage when I get back to it. So he doesn't make us better. He makes us brand new. God is not in an improvement program. He is here to put me to death so I can be raised to walk in a new manner of life is what Romans 6 says. So the old has been replaced. We don't drag the old around with us. Y'all know the poem? I don't know the name of the poem. I don't know who wrote it. But I know it's about an albatross. Y'all know, and we have a saying of that. You know, well, that's an albatross around his neck. Well, if, you don't, if, you're, not a, if you're not conscious of this, there, there's this, this story, uh, I guess. I'm not sure it's a poem. It's a story about a shipwreck. Some guys are on a life raft, and they're floating in the ocean, and they're starving. They're dying. And this albatross, which is a bird that will fly to land, and they're following the albatross. They're very hungry, and so one of the guys, and in in, in just, I can't take it anymore, kills the albatross in order to be fed. And the rest of them are mad at him because now they are hopelessly lost without ever having any guy to find land. And so they tie the albatross and tie it around the guy's neck, and he has to wear this albatross as shame for creating death for all of them. The Christian life is not a weekend at Bernie's. For those keeping count, that's one movie reference. <laughs> and, and for those of you who didn't see that, it was these kids that were invited to a rich man's house and then he died. So they propped him up, pretend like he was alive, and they used him like a puppet the whole time so they could go to his house and enjoy all his, all his wealth. Well, some people think Christians are like a weekend at Bernie's, that we're dragging the old man around with us, you know, all the time, just having to... No, he's dead. And the Bible says, put him aside, put it, put it off. He's gone. I've made you a brand new creation. And you don't have to carry that around with you. You say, how does that work? Well, let's go back to the beginning. Look up, back up at verse 17. You see, we have to cast off the old. Here uh, he begins by saying, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you 
must no longer walk. And, and some versions say, therefore. And if you remember, my, my ESV does not use that term. But look at verse 1 in chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, based on what all came before that. Here, he's been talking about how God has, has changed us and made us new, given us gifts in the church. We might grow to a, a mature man. And some versions in verse 17 says, therefore. And, what he's, and, and my version says, I say and I testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk. As the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Since God has saved us. Since God has gifted us. Since God has redeemed us. And he's making us mature in Christ. If we're maturing in Christ. We can't keep doing what we used to do. We can't keep living like we used to live. And so in verse 17 he introduces that. He says as the Gentiles do. It's the word ethnos. It means the nations. He uses this term because the Greeks understood this term, that, 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 that the Christian is different from others. And, and they would use that term to talk about those who are outside of Christ. It means everybody outside of Christ, the nations of the world. We no longer are a citizen of this world. We are living here. We are just, uh, a, a songwriter in the 70s wrote, just visiting this planet. That's all we're doing right now. That's, we, we, we're going somewhere else. We're going somewhere else quickly. And so... Christians are an island in a sea of lost people. And it was very true of this church. The city of Ephesus is one of the most corrupt cities of Paul's day. Uh, and, and some people put it as the number one city that was corrupt. It was the headquarters of Artemis, this goddess. Uh, uh, it, it was a horrible religion. I can't even begin to tell you the things they practiced in that. Um, but just see Hollywood as a minor example, but it's worse than that even. And, and, and so all these Christians are living in the midst of this darkness, and Paul reaches out to them, and he says, don't live like that. You need to live differently. You need to realize that God's redeemed you out of that, and here's how, you're to, here's how you used to be. Here's four characteristics that Paul lists that how that old life looked. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those. I want to rush through them. But first of all, he says that they are futile in their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them. And some version says futile in their thinking. They, they have, uh, and, and verse 17 says, they, they live in the futility of their mind. Do you know that word futile? That is a great word. It means it does not produce what you wanted it to produce. When I was a single man, I went down to the pound because I wanted a dog. And uh, I love Airedale Terriers. And, uh, and I found out they are, they're, hard, they're difficult to keep, especially if you get one from the pound because he's in the pound because he was difficult to keep. <laughs> but I got this one and I named him Saul because he was found on the road. <clears throat> Biblical scholars will get that later. But anyway, so I brought Saul home. Well, Saul, he's a terrier. Do you understand that word? It means earth. They like to dig. So this dog would go into the house and dig, and he'd be filthy. So I'd wash him. And 10 minutes later, he'd be filthy, <laughs> and he needed a bath. And my friend said, man, you, he came over and he said, you need to bathe that dog. And I said, that is a futile exercise. That's what the word futile means. It's pointless. And it does not produce the results you want. I could wash that dog. I could wash him every day, and every day he'd be dirty again because he dug in the dirt. He was a great dog. He protected my nephew. I'll tell you that one another time. But he, he, he was a great dog, but it was futile to try to do anything with him. They, we think differently than they do. They are futile in their thinking. In other words, their thinking doesn't produce anything. We live in a nation that is more educated than ever. Today, a college degree in North America is about what a high school degree was when my parents were 
at that age. Right? Yeah. Kids are graduating college, $80,000, $200,000 in debt and can't get a job. And if they do, it doesn't pay much. There's a better way, by the way, kids. See me afterwards. I'll help you with that. And yet, as educated as we are, I'm afraid we're just a society of educated fools. Because getting an education doesn't make you smart. means you know more facts. Wisdom is the ability to apply the truth to your life. And what some colleges teach is not even the truth. You've got to unlearn half what you learned to get to the truth. And, and hopefully you know the truth, and so you just shine the professor on by telling him what he wants to hear. But you know the truth because you studied it out for yourself. Because... Because I hope, just like I hope you don't come in church and hang your intellect on the doorknob and say, well, I don't have to think. I'm in church. I just believe. We believe in facts. We believe in what God has revealed to us. we got to know what God said in order to have belief. In order to have faith, you got to know what God said. Because faith is belief in what he said, not in just belief in nothing. And so these people are futile in their thinking. In other words, it, it, it doesn't lead to anything. And so... They're, they're, they're thinking, oh, if I do this, I will have pleasure. I will have joy. I will have happiness. I, I know a few statistics. I'll just mention a couple of things. Number one, you think about the athletes that win the gold medal at the Olympics, and then a few years, their lives are in ruin. And when you ask them why, they say, since I was six years old, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old, I have worked 12 hours a day. I'd get up at five in the morning, my parents would drive me to the skating rink or take me to the park or wherever they had to go just to win this gold medal when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Now what? Now what do I do? And they thought getting that gold medal would make them happy and uh, they've got a thing. I'm a gold medalist. I'm not downgrading that. It's awesome. I'm glad that that happens. But many of them, after they win it, they go, now what? Some of them go into literal ruin. We see, we, we wonder, how do these, some of those who live in Hollywood and become famous and have celebrity and have money and fame and fortune, I guess money and fortune the same thing, but have this celebrity and they're miserable and they make wrecks of their life. Professional athletes, professional people, people who work, go to the top of their business. Think about it's a sensitive subject, but I want to give you a statistic about it. Think about uh, Bruce Jenner, who is now known by the name Caitlyn Jenner, uh, who is a man masquerading as a woman, but because you can't change what you are. In case anybody in here is confused about that, if God made you a male, you're a male. If God made you a female, you're a female. And, and a surgeon can't change that. But here's the statistic. The suicide rate amongst the general population is about 3 to 4%. If I could just be what I am on the inside, I'll be happy. The suicide rate among transgendered people is 40% plus. In other words, they need the love and the knowledge that God loves them. They need the love of Christ to radically make them a new creature on the inside. Yeah, I should not be what I thought I was on the inside, but it's not that I should be a woman. I should be a saved man. You get my point? I was reading an article. We're going to Southern Baptist Convention. Yesterday, day before, I read an article. Calvary Baptist just called a lesbian couple to be their pastors, a co-pastor. 
Uh, not Calvary, here. Calvary in Washington, D.C. I just, some of y'all about had a heart attack. Nobody misunderstood me, I know, but I thought it was funny to say it that way. But that's true. And I read uh, the story about these women, and, and I, they are from South Carolina. Don't say it. Um, and, and I read all the schools and all the churches that ordained them. And, le- and I knew those churches because I grew up there and I knew those were liberal churches. And they left Southern Baptist Convention. But how could, and, uh, and I commented on the article and I try not to comment because I get in trouble. But I just commented and said, I feel sorry for these women. Who have been lied to by our enemy to think that they will find happiness in religion and the way they understand things. You see, my thinking has to be changed. And in fact, Paul goes on to talk about that. He says they are ignorant of God. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. In other words, it's a willful ignorance. It's one thing not to know. It's another thing to not want to know. I don't use that word ignorant as a derogatory term, I am ignorant about many things. I cannot build a, a nuclear bomb. Very ignorant of that. There, there are doctors and pharmacists and nurses in here. I don't have a clue about what... I am an ignorant man. And so the saying, every man's ignorant just about a different subject, is very true. But the lost man that Paul's describing here is willfully ignorant of God because of the hardness of his heart because he wants his own way more than he wants God's way. Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. And, 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 and James, how, how does sin happen? Because we are enticed by our own lust. And as we start following that lust, it develops until it gives birth to sin. Many times I counsel couples and others that have fallen into sin. And I ask them, why did you do that? And they usually say, oh, I don't know, it just happened. And I said, well, I know why it happened. Would you like me to share? And they go, sure. And I said, you wanted to. Don't ever make an excuse for your sin. You sinned because you wanted to. And you decided that that was better than what God wanted to provide. That's what sin is, right? The apple, well, it wasn't apple, the fruit that Adam and Eve ate. They saw that it looked good, tasted good, probably would taste good. And it would give them the revelation of knowledge of good and evil. And they would be like God. And they thought what God had provided, which was every other tree in creation, wasn't enough. They had to have the fruit off that one tree. Do you see the nature of sin? And so we are willfully ignorant of what God wants. Because once I know, I'm responsible and I don't want to know. And so look at our society today. Man, when I was a kid, I mean, this 50 years ago, when I was a kid, Jeopardy's been on a long time. Y'all know that? And when I was a kid, I'd watch Jeopardy, and we still watch it sometimes if it's on. I mean, I don't go looking for it, but I enjoy it. And I always got tickled when the category was the Bible. Always. It was hilarious. Because you had eggheads up there, and I don't mean that derogatory either. I mean, they're very smart people. And they know, like, who painted what painting and what century and what city. And they know what author wrote this thing about that thing and... They know what this sculpture is, and they know all about geography and where that was, and they know this, and they know that, and then they'd say, who built the ark? <clears throat> Moses, no. <clears throat> Peter, no. They, clueless. Sad thing is, that is now in the church. And you say, well, you're not teaching us well. Okay, I'll accept that. 
How many Bibles do you own? And can you read? So that's where it starts. I'm supposed to help you with that. I'm supposed to encourage you in that. But don't, you're not going to stand before God and God said, why didn't you obey me? Well, I didn't know what to do. Why not? Well, Pastor didn't tell me. And God's going to say, really? You're going to go there? I gave you my son. I gave you the word. I gave you the spirit to help you understand the word. And what's your excuse? And, and, and so when we are willfully ignorant, it's a bad thing. I said, I'm not going to take long and I'm taking too long. They are callous. That just means insensitive. You know what it means to get a callous where, where, where you no longer feel anything? You, a, a hard worker. I, you know, a guy, a guy that has a callous hand, you know he's been working at something a lot. And he, and he builds something so the, it doesn't hurt as much. People that go barefoot, they have callous feet. They, they, it loses the sensitivity that the God gave us to warn us of danger. And so he says here in, in uh, verse 19, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and to practice every kind of impurity. Once you're callous, you move over into this depravity, which is giving in to your senses, your sensuality, you become greedy. And sensuality and greed is always combined. It's, it's the desire to feel what I want to feel, to have what I want to have, separate from who God is and what God wants to give me. Do you understand that? When I was a teenager, you know how teenage boys are. We, we, well, at least when I was a teenager. We loved stereos. And back then, you, you know, you, you all got an AM radio in the car when it came. And we were driving the old clunkers our parents didn't want anymore. So we would have a $50 car and a $1,000 sound system in it. Some kids still do that. You know, they're sharing their music with their friends in Europe beside you at the red light. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. So my friend and I were teenagers, and we were in the store, and he goes, Hey, come on, let's go up to the electronics department and lust after some stereos. Because there's stuff we couldn't get, we couldn't afford, we couldn't have. That's when I started to really understand that word lust, because it, all of a sudden it made sense. Lust is not about sexuality necessarily. It can be about anything. You can lust for food. You can lust for power. You can lust for money. You can lust for fame. You can lust for a stereo. You can lust for a new gun. You can lust for this, that, or the other thing. It's desiring something God didn't mean for you to have. And, and the Bible says we become callous. We become sensual and greedy. We want to feel. And here's the thing. The more you practice something, the less you feel it. Unless it's God. He's the only thing that the more you know him, the greater he becomes. My favorite description of heaven is C.S. Lewis in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia. He said, the deeper you go, the bigger it gets. It's like you're going in, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that, that was a great way to describe heaven. Well, what happens? Well, we must become the new. Look back with me. We're now back to verse 20 that I said we would start back in on this. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That is just a reference to salvation. Paul says, that's the way they live, but that is not how you learn Jesus. Because in Christ, he died for us and we completely surrender our will and our life to him. We no longer decide what we want to do. We don't say, this is what I kind of job I want to have. We say, God, what job do you want me to have? We no longer decide, kids, where we'll go to school. We say, God, what school do you want me to go to? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to live my life? Who is the mate you want for my life? How do you, what church, how do you want me to serve you in what church? And we no longer make our own decisions. It's not that we become robots. It's that we follow the leading of God. We, we quote all the time Proverbs 3, 5. 
5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. But we don't practice it. We don't really want him to direct our paths. We want to decide and have him bless it. That's called idolatry and blasphemy. Because you're worshiping what you want and, and blasphemously asking God to bless it. Instead of going to God and saying, God, what do you want? Because he's going to bless that anyway. You don't have to ask God to bless it when you're walking in his will because he's already going to bless it. He sent you there and he doesn't abandon you when he sends you somewhere. You know, when you go to the restaurant with God and he orders off the menu, he always pays for it. Right? (laughs) So when God orders something off the menu in your life, he will guarantee it. He will move the furthest star. He will move heaven and earth to have his will done in your life if you will surrender to him. If you will give him everything. And Paul says, you didn't learn Christ like this. Where you're callous. You want to know God. You want to know his will. You want to do his will. You're not chasing your own sensuality. But you're chasing a relationship with God. That's how you learned Christ. It's just salvation. And look, as he goes on in verse 21. Assuming you heard about him. Were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. You were taught. You have this knowledge of God. What an awesome privilege we have as believers, that we can know God. I mean, good night. He created everything in a spoken word. Boom, there it is. By the way, let me just quickly tell you, because I just saw this. Understanding how I use the word ignorant. The most ignorant person in here scientifically can confuse the highest PhD about evolution. Here's the question you ask them. Can you show me one example of one of a change of kind in evolution according especially according to the scientific method? They can't, but you got to put that on there because evolution does not follow the scientific method, which means says it's got to be observable, repeatable and measurable. In other words, evolution is a belief in a theory. And I saw a guy do this. And he went to a great university and asked the PhDs. And none of them could give him one example because it does not exist. But the God who stepped out on nothing and grabbed a handful of nothing and created everything we see says, you can call me daddy if you'll surrender to me. And you can learn of him Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for it's, it's easy, it's well-fitted, and the burden is light, and we can know God. That is unbelievable. Well, how do we know God, preacher? Well, the greatest two ways are through the Word of God and prayer. Right? I mean, the Bible reveals the mind of God to us and the will of God to us. And the Holy Spirit is there to make sure we understand it and get it right. And the reason you don't know God is because you don't open your Bible. Or you let somebody else tell you what it says instead of looking at what it says. I don't want you to trust what I tell you it says. I want you to figure that out. Sometimes I say the truth in a way you haven't heard it before just to make you look at the Bible. But a lot of people just go out and go, I don't believe that. Okay, well prove me wrong. Please. Because I want to know the truth. I don't want to know what I think I know. I want to know what I should know. Right? Don't you? Okay, well, there it is. We can know that. And so, I've already told you, so we can be delivered from the old. Verse 22, to put off your old self. 
I, I just turn uh, to a, a couple of books to the to your right. Just flip the pages to the left. Go to your right. Look at Colossians three with me, just for a second. I'm going to show you a couple of things there as we wind up, and we are going to wind up. Because we have to be delivered from the old and become the new. Because there's a problem I didn't talk about earlier. And let me just talk about it real quickly. Look at verse 3 of Colossians chapter 3. Well, verse 1 and 2 are pretty awesome. The word if in Greek, it, it can be translated one of two ways. If or since. And I do not like any Bible translator. I'm not a, I'm not a Greek expert. And all of them say if then you have been raised with Christ. Change that to since. And I'll argue I'm blue in the face. That ought to be since. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, that's how you know a believer. That's how you know somebody's really saved. You want to know God. Verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Verse 3. For you have died. Who died? According to that verse, who died? Tell me what the verse says, not what it means. Tell me what it says. You died? Who's you? Right. You is me. Me is you. I died. Who is, who is me? Who is you? Randolph Stewart McCarter, born July 21st. That's this coming month, by the way. I'll give you my sizes later. July 21st, 1959, born 518 in the morning, weighing 8 pounds, 15 ounces. To, yes, I was a big baby. To Catherine Mary Stewart McCarter and Randolph Melrose McCarter. That's who I was. But in June of 1968, I went down an aisle in a church and told the preacher that I wanted Jesus. And I stood in front of the church and I confessed that Jesus is Lord, that he died in my place, and that I trusted him for salvation. And at that moment, an eight-year-old boy died in front of everybody. And somebody new came into existence. I don't know that na- the name of that new guy. So I've got to go by the old one. But in heaven, he writes it on a stone, he gives it to me, and nobody knows it but him and me. You need to read Revelation, it's exciting. And he will serve me at the supper of the Lamb. I can't believe that. It's crazy. The bridegroom's going to serve the bride. He's going to give me a new name. And it's my new name. Because it's what I am, not what I look like. Because what I am is wrapped up in what I used to be. And there's the problem of sin. It's not that I have a sin nature. as I still live in a body that is dragging around sin. Not my old nature, but I've just got sin on me. Because look at verse 5 of Colossians 3. Well, let's not skip 4. Where, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Wait a minute. Time out, Paul. You're confusing me. What is your problem? Are you bipolar? Verse 3, you said I was dead. Now you tell me to put to death. What's the deal? Because we still have something hanging on to us. In Romans 7, we won't go there and read it. But in Romans 7, verse 17, Paul's concludes that he says so when I do the things I don't want to do when I don't do the things I want to do in verse 17 he says it is no longer I but sin that lives with me sin still lives with us on this earth we still live in a a bad place 
But my nature is of righteousness. So when I do sin, I, the Holy Spirit brings conviction in my life. And I want to repent of that sin. And I want to look more like Jesus. So I turn away from my sin. And I turn to Christ. Here's a great way to put this. Somebody else taught me this. Never kiss your sin goodbye. Because if you get close enough to kiss it, it's going to hold on to you. Sin knows Brazilian jiu-jitsu. If you get close enough for it to grab you, it is not going to let go. It's like a spider monkey, man. It will choke you out. So don't kiss it goodbye. Just get away from it. Turn to Christ on the cross and say, Lord, I don't want to live like that anymore. I come to you and I know this is what I was. This is what I've done in my life. But Lord, you are Lord and you are Savior. And right now I need you to wash me in your blood. Forgive me. Make me whole again. I turn to you and I want your you because I don't belong to that. I belong to you. I'm in a new kingdom. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, he says he transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness and puts you in the kingdom of light. I'm not a citizen of Satan's kingdom anymore. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not what I was when I was born in Charleston in 1959. I'm what I was when I was born again in 1968. And I'm now a believer. I now know Christ. I now follow him. And so I've become new. In Romans 6, it talks about that. We put to death. We died with him. We're buried with him. And we're raised with him. That's not just symbolic talk. That's what happened. So what can you do about all this this week? Well, here's, first of all, attack your addictions. Never kiss your sin goodbye. Kill it. You've got to have a showdown encounter. I mean, it is high noon at the OK Corral. I don't know. I know I'm mixing metaphors there. It's like, one of us is going to die, and it ain't going to be me because I've already died. You're gone. And get rid of that. Attack that addiction. Kill it. Get rid of it. And then align yourself with the Spirit of God because you don't have the power to kill your sin. Only God, God's already done that, but you've got to shed off that, that, that old skin, that old self, and align yourself with the Spirit of God. And I referenced the Chronicles of Narnia a minute ago. If you've read them, if you haven't, you ought to. They were children's books, so you might understand them. That's why I read them. They made sense because they were written for children, and I could get it. Uh, but it was children years ago, and they were smarter than we are today as adults. But there's a little boy in there, and he did something he wasn't supposed to do, and he became a dragon. And he didn't want to be a dragon anymore. He tried to get rid of it, and he kept tearing off that dragon skin because as a serpent, he shed his skin. Y'all found snake skin? Somebody told me they had an old car, and they found a snake skin in the car, and their wife would never get in it again. So... So in the story, the boy keeps shedding the skin, trying to, and then he would look in the, in the mirror of the pond, and he still was a dragon. He couldn't, and then Aslan, the lion, who is a picture of Jesus, comes and says, you've got to let me do it. And the little boy doesn't want him to, but he eventually says yes to it. He surrenders his will to the will of Aslan. And Aslan, the lion, and C.S. Lewis is very graphic in the description, rips him open with his claws. And tears him open and he thinks he's dying. And he pulls off that old serpent skin. And when the little boy looks in the pond, he's a little boy again. It's C.S. Lewis talking about getting rid of the old nature. It's not something you can do. You've got to align yourself with the Spirit of God. Let Jesus come in and tear away if you're lost. Now, if you're saved, he's already done that. He's already put to death that old and given you the new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old has passed away and all, all things have passed away. New has come. The new is here. And so, third thing. Ask yourself or, or ask your spouse or somebody close to you. 
Am I a thriving, growing Christian? Am I looking more like Jesus every day? Now, you've got to be open. And, and listen, you can't get mad if they tell you the truth. And so if y'all are couples in here and you're going to go home and do this, be truthful, be kind. You can't take advantage of that. I'm so glad you asked that because I've been waiting to tell you <laughs> what I really think. Don't do that. Because guess what? You as messed up as they are. And we all need to encourage one another to look like Jesus, don't we? We all need encouragement to get in his word. Let him. And so align yourself with the spirit of God and just, oh, spirit. Because only God, the Holy Spirit, can do this. He's doing it on behalf of Christ to make us brand new. We are put to death. We are raised to walk in a new manner of life. In Galatians, Paul talks about if we walk in the spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? You ought to study that passage. You ought to study the book of Galatians. So I encourage you this week to do these things, to, to seek God, to be a new creation, because he has made you that new creation to live like